Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Now, what do we got to do? Simple setup. One day operation. We pick up their trailer at the chopper, run them down, grab those hostages and bounce back across the border before anybody knows we were there. What do you mean we? I'm going in with you, Dutch. General, my team always works alone. You know that. I'm afraid we all have our orders, Major. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. That's losing. Losing's cool. There's nothing but a couple of guys running around out there, and we've got to take them down. Still don't understand it, do you? Whatever it is out there, killed Hopper. And now it wants us. Today, as part of our Alien series, we'll be discussing Predator. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Look, the rendezvous is 10 to 12 miles away from here. You think the chopper's gonna wait? Dylan, we make a stand now, but there would be nobody left to go to the chopper. Carl Weathers. You really think this Boy Scout bullshit's gonna work? You can see our tripwires. Maybe it can't see this. Jesse Ventura. Bill Duke. I know one thing, Major. Nothing on this earth could have Sonny Landon. There's something out there waiting for us, and it ain't no man. And Alpidio Carrillo. I don't know what it was. It changed colors. Like the chameleon. It uses the jungle. Directed by John McTiernan. There is something else. The big man was killed. You must have wounded it. Its blood was on the leaves. Please. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. I'm dug in like an Alabama tick. It's Gally in Glasgow. <laughs> See, because uh, of the echo. It's Devon in London. <laughs> Jesus, you killed a pig. It's Patrick in London. Hey, Billy, give me a way out of this hole. It's Matt in South Korea. Oh, very good, very good. And welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, gang. Happy New Year. First show of the new year. Matt, can I th- just say to you, An Yang. Okay. And for anyone who doesn't know what that means, I think <laughs> that means hello in South Korean. You are incredibly <laughs> close. It's actually An Yang, oh. but you're very, very near. <laughs> new Year's resolution, learn a new language. Thought Korean sounded good. An Yang. <laughs> I got it wrong again. An Yang. <laughs> <laughs> You're almost as good as me, and I've been here for five years, so there you go. Hope you all had a lovely Christmas, and the listeners, everyone's okay. Happy New Year, everyone. And what are we doing today, Gally? Well, we've basically done a double bill of McTiernan, haven't we? But we've gone back to front. So we did die hard in our last episode, and we're now doing Predator, his second feature film. Some might argue his second masterpiece, or first, depends how you came to it. Who knows, we'll be discussing. But yes, we're going to be discussing Predator, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I will start with you, Matt, because I have a feeling that you've no doubt got a story. Do you remember the first time you saw Predator? To set the scene, around this time, I was a certified Hulkamaniac and like a Bret Hart guy. And I I went to see some of the WWF as it was back then, events. And I got a pair of those little sun, the wraparound flimsy glasses. Well, you got the not, not actually from Brett, not actually from him, underlined. But uh, I did have a pair from the merch stand. So this was probably 92. Uh, I'll have been about 10. And uh, my primary school friend, Michael Duffy, who now works for the BBC, uh, had a yeah had a birthday <laughs> at his spacious uh borderline kind of farmhouse mansion as i kind of remember it i'm sure it wasn't 
but uh it was my first sort of sleepover away from from home and uh so there's probably about a dozen of us and we all watched predator and there's no adults around and it just blew my socks off it was just it was this kind of lawlessness to what we were doing and uh you know as 10 year olds watching an 18 certificate it was kind of dangerous and cool uh, so it was a very brilliant uh violent bloodthirsty experience that i remember very fondly uh to this day so every time i watch it i kind of chase the dragon of of seeing it for the first time there and uh yeah uh, we were talking earlier about the the version that itv played which was the version that I taped and watched endlessly after that with all the, the good stuff edited out, like, uh, Carl Weathers arm, uh, firing on mm. its own. That was never in. So yeah, it's a, it's a big one to discuss. I'll, I'll pass to, ooh, Devlin looks ready. I think I gave away mine on the, uh, the way, way, way back when in the Predator 2 episode that, um, uh, my dad bought me Predator 2 on VHS. Yeah, yeah. When I was eight for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> never seen it or Predator. <laughs> Unwrapped in a stocking, if I remember. Yep. Uh, Danny so, Glover was your hero at the time. So I, I, my, my first exposure to all this was, was Predator 2 on an insanely violent, I believe unedited VHS tape version of that. Um, and obviously I loved that because why wouldn't you? But then I would have seen the original and it would have been on TV. I would, I would imagine this was a Sky Movies film back in the day. Uh, certainly it was an ITV film, but I think at some point it would have played on Sky where you get to see it with all the gross bits back in. Um, so yeah, like, like everyone else, I think, uh, uh, once you've seen it, it's, it's pretty well ingrained in the, in the memory and I would watch it quite a bit although i guess i'd go a few years without watching predator just because it it does kind of stick in the memory so well that you don't have to watch it all the time so i think probably throughout my kind of later teen years i would have taken a few years of 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 not really watching it again so uh but over the last few years i think it comes out at least once a year how about you patrick uh i don't actually remember exactly when i first watched this one i think because I wasn't on the Predator 2 episode. I think I watched Predator 2 first. And, you know, I think we've all had that kind of element of things going on. I'm, I'm, I think I watched Temple of Doom before uh, mm. Lost Ark. And I actually think I watched Terminator 2 first. Or was it the first thing? Anyway, a bit like Die Hard and what we said on that episode, it's been a bit of a mainstay throughout my adolescent life through to now. I don't know whether I watch it once a year, Devlin, but certainly once every two years minimum. Um, and I've always just known it to be this awesome film, really. And my, one of my newer memories of it is watching it with you, Galleon Lev, at the Prince Charles for the Arnie All Nighter, which, mm-hmm. uh, kind of spawned this podcast in a way. It did. It and did. The, the people in the cinema who were cheering and clapping to the get to the chopper line and just, it's just a, I don't know, highly quotable, very entertaining, and it's just always been there for me, in a way. Gally, you've got similar memories to the ITV version with Matt? Yeah, very similar. This was a... I used to watch this a lot with my dad. Um, again, strange parenting, but, you know, he's Greek, so you've got to forgive these these slight um, lost-in-translation things. But, yeah, I used to watch it a lot with my dad, and actually, just Arnold Schwarzenegger was quite a big figure in in my kind of adolescence anyway. So just watching his type of movie. Um, and I, I've got to say for the longest time, I used to think that Predator was, was kind of lumped in with some of his other oeuvre, you know, 
raw, raw deal, running man, commando. Um, but as I've gotten older and, you know, this is, again, a film that goes on rotation, um, you know, not to give away my green gooey sandwiches, but <laughs> this is this is a, a different caliber of action film with Arnold. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to kind of discussing why I think that and, and hopefully um, seeing if you guys either agree or disagree. But um, yeah, Raw Deal isn't very good. But this, this, this is well. Raw, raw Deal <laughs> and um, Red Heat mixed into one for me for some mm. reason. I yeah, never, same. I never really tell yeah. them apart. Yeah, well, it's just yeah. the Belushi element, and obviously Red the Heat. Titles, be, yeah, they sound yeah, the, the titles, but also Red uh, Red, Red Heat song, does yeah. have yeah, Red Heat does have the um, amputee uh, cocaine filled leg, which is always yeah. memorable. Whereas I don't think Raw Deal actually has anything memorable besides. Baking when drunk. That's probably the only yeah, thing almost I can nothing. Ever There's remember. a cake involved somewhere. Yeah, yeah. For those that, that have not seen Predator, of which I find that quite baffling that there are a few. However, I think there are some out there. Could you give us a plot summary of Predator? Vietnam veteran Major Alan Dutch Schaefer and his soldiers of fortune, Hawkins, Blaine, Mac, Billy, and Poncho. They've been hired by the US government on a secret mission deep into the jungle of Valverde to rescue a foreign cabinet minister and his aide from guerrillas over the border. Why? Because some damn fool accused Dutch of being the best. Dylan, a CIA officer and Vietnam buddy of Dutch, will join them on their mission. Despite their camaraderie and dick measuring, Dutch is suspicious of Dylan's intentions. Has the CIA got him pushing too many pencils? En route to their target, five metres spread, no sound. They encounter three skinned corpses, green berets Dutch used to know. Who did this? It can't be human, surely. A small firefight ensues once they arrive at the guerrilla camp, but they discover the so-called hostages are already dead. Their mission not what they signed up for. They've stopped a Soviet-backed invasion and Dutch angrily confronts Dylan about this cooked-up story that dropped the six of them in a meat grinder. More rebels are coming and now the team have baggage. Anna, a surviving gorilla who joins them as their captain. Dutch must now get the team to their extraction point, but something doesn't feel right. For they're being hunted. Something's out there, waiting for them. Anna tries to escape and as Hawking catches her, he's killed by this something and dragged away, his fate seemingly the same as the skinned green berets. Blaine prepares old Painless, but he too is killed by this predator, whose cloaking device keeps it hidden from view, as Mac reacts to his best friend's death and fires everything he has into the jungle, injuring the predator. If it bleeds, they can kill it. Dutch and the team get to work in prepping traps for their hunter, despite Dylan questioning this Boy Scout bullshit. Their extraction point should be the goal, right? But these are soldiers who can't leave this behind. Mac frantically kills a wild boar, and the traps eventually work to snag the predator, who escapes and is pursued. Mac and Dylan think they have the drop on it, but the predator's infrared vision and superior tech and skills mean Mac and Dylan are killed in quick succession. Billy hears this outcome and takes a stand, but he too is killed, and the already injured Poncho is killed also, as the rest of them flee. Dutch is injured, 
in this melee and please for Anna to get to the chopper Dutch is chased and falls into a lake as he crawls out into a muddy bank discovers the mud leaves invisible to the predator as a final showdown two worthy opponents stalk and hunt each other the predator shows suspect to Dutch by removing its helmet revealing that he is one ugly motherfucker what the hell is it and then they fight to the death it came for the thrill of the hunt. It picked the wrong man to hunt. Bravo, Patrick. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Very good, Patrick. Oh, good. If you are interested, listeners, the audio book of Predator <laughs> is available also on our team. Uh, read out, of course, by Patrick Waggett. So, yeah, very good. Write that down, Dev. That's not a bad idea. No, that isn't a bad idea. <laughs> uh, Monetize. <laughs> I have one nitpick in your synopsis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Small firefight at the yes. camp? Yes. Well, it was... <laughs> all relative. Obviously, it was an ironic statement there. To keep, if the audience haven't seen it and they hear small firefight, when they watch it, they're like, what the fuck? Because, you know, who was... We were speaking Tom, about this offline. Tom think- Daly would be happy with some of those swan dives. There are some <laughs> wonderful, wonderful <laughs> failings. <laughs> I think, Matt, you were saying that you were watching this at home once and you... What did you feel bad at the volume and you had to turn it down at that? Oh, that was Die Hard, but this this would, this would be the version. This would be the scene that equates to that probably. Uh, we talked about, you said Soldiers of Fortune too, which ties us neatly into the second unit A team bullshit that's going on with the trampolines. Mm -hmm. But, uh, that was pointed out by Gally actually to me. I think it comes from the commentary. Uh, McTiernan didn't like some of the, the generic kind of action that was, that was displayed, but I, I never noticed as a kid. I, besides, I was a massive A-team fan back then, so it, it wouldn't have bothered me. <laughs> I think it's, it's the movement, isn't it? It's the camera movement. So McTiernan is, is constantly yeah. racking focus, constantly doing two or three compositions in one sequence. And then you get to that, um, that attack on the gorilla camp and it's on sticks. Mm. And, yeah, and it, but in a, in a way, I mean, you could argue that it's like, it, I don't know, does it cheapen the film? But I suppose if you're looking at it metaphorically, or if you're looking for some kind of, um, you know, meta text, then it kind of buys into the, what we would expect. It looks like Commando. And then mm. it, from that moment after they attack the gorilla camp, it's anything but Commando, isn't it? Yeah. I think there's a reason like hot shots take the piss out of it as well with the, the flips and the loops and stuff. I think I definitely buy into your uh, your meta suggestion, which is that you have this huge, big, um, satisfying, dumb 80s action blowout 20, what, 25, 26 minutes into yeah. the film. And then after it, you're in really unsure territory. Mm. There's there's no more trampoline flips and guys on fire running around and stuff. Well, it's, it's just them. It's just them in a the jungle. And, you know, something like that may even be uh, a kind of sequence that finishes a film. You know, the big yeah. spectacular at the end. And here we've got it, like, so 25 minutes-ish in. And it, it, it goes on for quite a while. It's quite a big set piece. It tied in a bit to Die Hard as well, because I said something on there about uh, the shoot the glass sequence. Uh, turned out to be, you know, a fruitless kind of effort you know just this silly shooting at nothing yeah. it's actually more it, it, it's well done here it, in, a, in a much better way and mctinnan's doing the same thing with with mac with the minigun not necessarily mm. the 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 raid on the rescuing the hostages um which i agree is like a, like the third act of, of any other film 
But uh, that sequence with the minigun is just uh, <laughs> literally shooting at nothing. Yeah. And uh, it, it just shows that there's an intellect behind it. And he is, he's working to subvert things. I love his specific um, explanation for that as well, which is that he says that um, he... He knew he knew that the the higher ups especially wanted this to be like a big dumb guns movie. He you yeah. know the, the, he's like and he said that uh, he felt that there's a lascivious, almost pornographic um, desire from a certain portion of the audience to want to see people shooting off big guns. And he says, well, if that's what you yeah. want, then this is what you'll get. But he said that a bunch of other films, the the mistake they would make would be to put people in the firing line, which is what happens in the uh, in the the camp raid sequence. But yeah. What he wanted was to show that, like, all this gunplay, you know, you can get, let people have their rocks off to it, but he didn't want, like, loss of life to be cheapened like that. So he thought, let's have them just firing off into nothing and that it's all impotent. Mm -hmm. Did you say, Matt, in the Die Hard episode that it was like masturbating, you know, like just blowing their load? He kind of infers that, I think, on one of the commentaries. I don't know if he says it as explicitly, right, right, right. but okay. uh, that's, that's pretty much what I he's remember going for. I remember chatting about that. What makes me laugh about the raid on the guerrilla camp, though, is doesn't Dutch say to Mac, like, uh, <laughs> he says something like, leave no trace or clean yeah. it up or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the fucking bullets that they've just expended. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, uh, well, Billy's quite diligent, isn't he? I mean, you can tell he's, he's a tracker. Um, he's a, a a native Indian, and uh, I'd imagine he's uh, he's pretty thorough in his work. So yeah, you'd get every single <laughs> shell. I mean, I don't know how much the minigun uh, you know goes off a second, but uh, I, know, I, it's a lot. Apparently, according to McTiernan, the um, the entire concept of old painless is the stupidest thing that he could possibly think of, yeah. and he went with it because yeah. it looked cool. But he said that the the battery pack alone weighed a hundred pounds, mm. and they had to slow <laughs> the gun barrel down because if it shot at its normal rate it would be completely unreadable on film <laughs> and yeah. that it lasted literally six seconds. Wow. You, the amount of bullets a human being could carry would go through that thing in six seconds. The firing at nothing. It's, it's multi-layered mm. in its purpose, isn't it? It's not only just like a really memorable sequence where you see them unpack. So if you are um, a bit of a film bro and you like watching guns getting fired off, that's going to really, you know, it's going to really get your rocks off. But it also completely undercuts what we've just seen in the camp, which is yeah. these are the best of the best. You know, in and sometimes in a movie like this, you would just bring in the the elite group, and the line that um, Carl Weathers has, where he's like, "Some damn fool accused you of being the best," would be enough. And you're like, "Well, they are the best. Look at them. Look at the size of them. Look mm. at you know, it's got Arnold. No, we actually see it, and then we see." All of that get reduced. They are, all their power, all their presumed power, completely taken away. Like they, there, there's they a purpose to the scene, nothing. though. It, it, yeah, in the exactly, they hit nothing, uh, meaning that nothing on earth could have survived it. So at this point, we we know that we're dealing with something that's that's beyond human, they did, they and then did, that ups the stakes um, in that sequence there there's blood oh, yeah but they, 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 yeah. they don't know do they which is strange because i thought billy would have spotted it but it's fine should we talk about how we end up um putting the crew together the way that the uh the ruthless efficiency with which we establish our ensemble before we get to the camp no i think it's all wonderful i love the fact that jesse ventura is wearing an mtv top as well yeah, um, yeah me too can we can we the, for the rest the, of the episode call him the body as well it's kind of important not the mind El mcpherson exactly El the mind mcpherson but you're right devlin it is ruthlessly efficient and it also the end of the movie not to 
you know, jump straight to the end. But the end of the movie is essentially a silent movie. And the opening, what, like five minutes with the credits is like a silent movie, but it's all, we're being told everything visually, aren't we? They come in, we see the general, we see Dylan looking a bit shady. He's wearing a tie, immediately points him out as being very different. Like, why are you wearing a tie in the jungle? And the first shot of him is uh, him alone at his desk. Is, and he's uh, having a beer as well. He's yeah. got to get himself ready because he's a, he's about to lie to his friend. Did it feel like Die Hard and, and the uh, uh, Rickman's gang? It, it felt a little bit like that. All visual, uh, just with uh, music overlaid. And like dr- driving along that little uh, beach and all the, uh, the people in the community are kind of watching these guys as if they're aliens you know like who are these guys it's it's special isn't it and um i i wrote down in my notes uh and maybe maybe i'm jumping the gun a little bit but but the way arnold kind of is introduced he's got like reverence and you feel like there's a backstory with him and the general and i guess my Mm. big point was is this the first movie where he's acting like genuinely like playing a character as opposed to being being Arnold. Uh, I remember critics at the time were talking about Twins as the first time he acted. And they were saying that that, that film proved that he could act, mm. which is kind of doing down some of the action um, work that he'd done prior in the 80s. But I, I do, again, without giving away too many sandwiches, I think this is my, this is the best Arnold performance in a serious role if if we take kindergarten cop and twins and his ability to spoof himself out of the equation i think this this is the one for me and it was quite revealing that he doesn't say i'll be back in this movie yeah. and i'm not too sure if McTiernan vetoed it, if he was trying to go down another kind of avenue it feels like or, something or what, McTiernan this, would veto hmm. Yeah, do you not feel like this one is played more straight than than some of the others? There's a couple of lines, stick around and knock, I think knock. knock knock are the only two. But but really they all repair. happen in the section where we think we're watching Commando, don't we? I mean obviously exactly. you've gone to yeah. if you in nineteen eighty seven, if you've gone to the theatre and it's called Predator, chances are you've seen the trailer. So you know you're not gonna go and watch Commando, but we have to look at McTiernan now, knowing that we've reviewed Die Hard and I've seen all of his movies. We have to give him that uh that credit that he is far smarter than we are and he's already thought of this so that whole sequence where he does drop the only one-liners it's the last time he does it until there's one line right at the end which i would have probably cut which is when he tries to hit the predator with a big stick and goes bad idea uh, but i guess he yeah. hasn't spoken then for about 10 minutes so maybe they just like we need a line give him a line something um mm-hmm. do anyway. you think that's where joel silver comes in as well the attack on the gorilla camp and those kind of lines and the action producer of the eighties. Well, I think they're, I think they're working in tandem. I know that, um, Mick Tiernan said that the studio wanted the gunplay. I could, you know, he couldn't, they're going to see the dailies. It could just be a case of, we need a scene like this, but Mick Tiernan is working on another level to Joel Silver. He's saying, I'll give it to you, but I'm going to give it to you in a way that you don't understand. You won't know what I'm doing until you know, decades later. The other thing in terms of the characters that you were talking about, the introduction of characters, Dev, I think this is one of the only in, in that pack of pack of Arnie movies where his supporting cast are kind of raising him up. He's got like equals surrounding him in many ways. And and that was, again, this is uh, uh, the, the wax is coming out. This is um, McTiernan when he talks about uh, who he cast in certain roles. He said he wanted to, you know, we have like a, that team you know where everyone has their own little uh little gimmick every actor's got a tick haven't they you know yeah. jesse chews tobacco um mac 
shaves inexplicably without foam. Yeah. Stop uh, you know, shaving, you <laughs> don't have a beard. <laughs> so that's that's Bill Duke. This is McTiernan's uh, casting, which is that, you know, you bring in Sonny Landham as Billy, who's a genuine maniac. You get Jesse Ventura, who is, as he said, um, a guy who's a lot smarter than he'll let anyone uh, find Ooh. out. He's a pro wrestling guy, so he understands how to sell something ridiculous. He was also a Navy SEAL, yeah. though, wasn't he? Can I give you my quick quote from the making of uh, uh, for Jesse? He goes, no one's going to have to teach me how to patrol through the jungle. No <laughs> one's going to have to teach me how to take a sentry out. No one's going to have to teach me how to fire the most awesome <laughs> weapon the world has ever seen. See, this is a... He's uh, cut, so, yeah, he does play he's it dumb, in a he? promo to Gorilla Monsoon there. That's like... <laughs> exactly, yeah. But what he said was uh, uh, Carl Weathers was 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 really what it hinged upon because most of Arnie's dramatic scenes where he actually has to do a full dialogue sequence where he has like the 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 argument they have in the camp over it was all bullshit. Uh, he said Arnie's never had to do that. He's never had to stand toe to toe with somebody that you believe could be a physical equal and to actually argue. So he said, "I needed somebody really, really good there." And he said, "The list of guys who look that imposing but are that." good is very very short and that's how you end up with carl weathers and carl weathers tells it that um joel silver called him into an office and he was pacing up and down the place <laughs> eventually in this like tiki hut of an office and eventually just came and he said i'm gonna make you a star kid and he's like he's trying to claim that he discovered carl weathers i think this is what you're looking for you sell it's all bullshit all of it the cabinet minister the whole business got us in here to do your dirty work Look, we just stopped a major invasion. In three days, they'd have been across the border with this stuff. Why us? Because nobody else could have pulled it off. You pissed about the cover story. I knew I couldn't get you in here without it. So what story did you hand to Hopper? Look, we've been looking for this place for months. My men were in that chopper when it got hit. Hopper's orders were to go in and get my men, and he disappeared. He didn't disappear. He was skinned alive. And my orders were to get somebody and who could crack these bastards. So you cooked up a story and dropped the six of us in a meat grinder. What happened to you, Dylan? You used to be somebody I could trust. I woke up. Why don't you? You're an asset. An expendable asset. And I used you to get the job done. Got it? My men are not expendable. And I don't do this kind of work. I always felt that Arnie looked particularly good in this one, like his his beard line and the camouflage and the makeup is is just right. It's probably peak Arnold in terms of it is his physicality. Arnold. Aesthetically, he is a god in this film. <laughs> yeah, my mum would the, always uh, say like kind of- he's an ugly brute. But in this one, I don't think he is. He's kind of, uh, he, he's, his body's not enormous. It's big, but it's not enormous. He's clearly kind of slimmed to a certain degree to, to play human. And I think he looks particularly good. Yeah, I think he can run in this film, can't he? Because his thighs <laughs> used to be too big. <laughs> but he can actually run in like the running man or something. Well, we commented on, uh, if you remember when we did Terminator, that you forget how big he is in the the original Terminator. And then, mm. you know, even even like Conan, he's massive in Conan. And he does, you know, slowly kind of morph a little bit into something 
a little bit more. Not believe, not even believable, but just not attainable. I guess I don't know. He's believable just... with these other guys around him. That's the other yeah. thing that grounds him because they're enormous too. But in any other film, that would look strange. But here, it well, um, it. I mean, forgive forgive me for saying this, but I think Mac has had a few too many Big Macs. I did um, notice but... on the making of when they're talking about getting up and running for an hour. He was like, they got up and ran for an hour, yeah. and then they went to the gym. He's like, you didn't, did you? But Arnie, I think importantly with the casting of Arnie, it, you, he's the one who you believe could defeat the Predator. You are right, Patrick. But the other thing that um, a film needs to achieve, because it's Arnold, and we've talked about this many, many times before, about stars that bring in all of the weight of expectation from previous roles and who they are as a personality outside of the films that they are in. We've seen Arnold in Commando take down an entire country's army so it, it is quite um it's quite something for the film and it's one of the mctiernan's great achievements i think is to genuinely make us feel like he's in peril and we get that through watching his team of elite soldiers getting taken out one by one um when you said uh, uh that mac and his a very unfair statement about having too many big Macs. It's only it's <laughs> only Mac. comparison. I feel like I've set a precedent with the whole uh, McMuffin thing. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I'm not body shaming Bill Duke. I'm just saying that in comparison to his compadres, and I'd also label this at Hawkins. They've been mm. skipping leg day. That's all I'm saying. Oh, Hawkins is jacked when he gets out of that helicopter, though. He's uh, you know Shane Black is doing better than I am to be honest. In the way. But, um, yeah, but Bill, yeah. Bill Duke is there as uh, as McTinnan says as his ringer. He's like, yeah. I brought I brought in a real actor because <laughs> apparently um uh, he'd studied at the AFI, the American Film Institute, um uh, shortly after McTinnan had, so he knew him from uh, from that. And of course, Bill Duke went on to be a very successful director, sister act two, back in the habit, and appearing in Commando when he got along with Arnold. Apparently, yeah, that's the reason why they asked him back. I think Bill Duke is phenomenal in this, and uh, the the shaving thing was apparently his idea. He brought it to set. Um, that's a very and- simple, really well done effect. That it just looks brilliant, yeah. doesn't it? Well, it means immediately that we're already thinking that he's slightly unhinged, mm. and then when as he sort of descends into real kind of vengeful madness. It's all believable. Like when he, his rendition of Long Tall Sally is possibly the most disturbing of all renditions. Yeah. Cause it is, it is genuinely like he is a man on a mission, but we also believe that he would, he would do that. And, and again, it turn and leaves like these, it could, it could so easily be just a, a group of, of brutes, but to have the moment where he sends off his friend, you know, mm. well, that's it. It's the, uh, the fanfare for the common man bit. Tiernan gives us a little bit of time with each one so that we actually care when they are taken out. And we also understand their motivations. Like Billy's death isn't just, you know what, I don't think I can actually be asked walking the other five miles. It's like, no, we've seen him gradually be more afraid, but we also know from the little glimpses that this is probably something that's inherent in his culture that actually I need to stand and... And this needs to be a, a fight. It's, it's that he kind of understands before anyone else does that what's going on is is uh, uh, he's the first to cotton on that this is this is weird, and it's either supernatural or something along those lines. So yeah, I guess he realizes that because um, uh, Arnold eventually realizes that um, Anna doesn't get shot because she's not carrying a weapon mm-hmm. nor sport yeah, nor sport. So <laughs> <laughs> the, the Billy was just ahead of the curve on that one. 
but Billy being Billy, he just decided to slash himself with a machete. And some podcasts out there have described that as a self-sacrifice, but it's not. No, right, not at all. I think it's a call to. Uh, I think he's a stander. Uh, yeah. yeah, standoff. He, reala- well, stand. he realizes he's going down one way or the other, so he'd rather go down. Uh, um, mm. like with a fighting chance. It's a weird comparison with him and the Predator there. When the Predator stands off with Arnie and takes the mask off, you know, strips down and goes at it fist for fist. But I like mm. the moment when Billy says, I'm scared. Yeah. And it really spooks everyone. Well, that, yeah. that is the moment, Patrick, after all of the assault on the, the gorilla camp. And we've seen these guys, they're all laughing and joking after the gorilla camp. You know, that's when Billy actually cracks at one of the, one of the gags is a good one. Um, is that the G's? You got a big pussy joke? That's the one. That's the one. It does make me laugh too. Um, but, but, you know, they're all in good spirits at that point. And then suddenly, you know, I think it's Poncho who says like, Billy, you know something. And, uh, it's like, what is, <laughs> what is yeah. it? It's like, it's very yeah. overwrought that performance, isn't it? The Poncho. Yeah. He feels like he's straining for a poo or something at that moment. He's a real nam vet, that guy, apparently. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe he was tapping into that. I don't know. But, but Billy says, yeah. like, I'm scared. Again, we would not have ever heard that get muttered in Rambo 2. It was John McClane on the plane saying he's afl- afraid of flying. It's the same, same thing. Billy, you know something. What is it? I'm scared, Pancho. Bullshit. You ain't afraid of no man. There's something out there waiting for us. And it ain't no man. So when I was um, talking Bill Duke's Max um, uh, shaving moment, when they're all kind of sitting and the, the tension is just like building up and, and when he holds the razor to his face long enough that it snaps. Um, Kiara had never seen this before. And what's amazing about that is that that's such a small moment, but you absolutely understand how fucking painful that would be. <laughs> that, they the say that about it, horror, isn't it? it it's when, yeah. when something extreme happens. But, uh, you know, we've all perhaps cut ourselves shaving or we've nicked ourselves a paper cut or something like that you know we can we can tap into it's that like, it's like they do in like filthy hardcore wrestling it's like no one's ever hit me in the head with a light tube but when they do the bit where they get a slice <laughs> of paper in the little gap between your fingers oh, yeah <laughs> so, oh, same no, no, on, on jackass when he does his eyelids and all that with yeah. the paper cuts it's like, <laughs> that's the worst stuff i've got the ultimate one Marv stepping on the nail, home alone yeah we yeah. all know don't we we're like oh no that is horrendous yeah I've not been smashed in the face with an iron, but <laughs> I'm free. that one I can. <laughs> but you're right. And, um, and, and Bill Duke as well. There's a real, and again, I, I give lots of credit to McTiernan for this. You know, Dylan is also fleshed out. He has a genuine arc in this movie. He starts off as the shifty CIA guy. And then, you know, when Arnie confronts him after they've gleefully murdered many, many rebels, and then he realizes how kind of completely pointless that whole, massacre was when it's like it's all bullshit you know he's there like i woke up why don't you and eventually he then starts to realize that actually these aren't expendable assets and i guess that's his motivation for going back but him and him and mac have got a really interesting dynamic and i wondered if you guys thought there was anything more to it being that they're two african-american uh characters whether or not there was a kind of mac doesn't respect him feels like he's sold out you know corporate working for the man or am i reading too much into it i don't know i think he's also for mac who we i'm assuming second command 
Uh, it seems that way. It's not his, he answers to Arnie. He answers to Dutch. And there's that great moment when, uh, Dylan's lost his footing and he's given away position. So Mac deems it mm. and he threatens him. And I, I get that. I understand that frustration because Dylan's coming along with him. He might, he might not know him as well as Dutch does. And it's, if he's jeopardizing, he's, he's a soldier. Mm. He's doing his work. There, there is a line there that links into what Gally was saying, where he says, you may be something back in the world. I can't remember what it is. You may be a big, big fish back in the world or something like that. And uh, so there could be a resentment. You ghost nuts, motherfucker. I don't care who you are back in the world. You give up position one more time. I'll bleed you real quiet. Leave you here. Got that. But there's an arc too where he's the one who goes back when, when, uh, Mac goes after it. He's the one who, uh, Dylan and, and Mac kind of unite, unite to try and get it at the end, which is a cool, it's like we talked in Die Hard about these little arcs, uh, by the characters outside of the lead. Um, and in Die Hard, it was, we talked about him moonlighting and it was a certain way of fleshing out the, the story and, and getting the running time, uh, to where it needed to be as well. But here, I think it's purely, just character-based stuff where he's, he's giving them little arcs. Their deaths are so quick as well. So for all that build-up, yeah. it's so sudden. I mean, Mac, the Mac getting shot through in the, the head is just mm. really, really well done. Like the whole setup, yeah. the way that uh, McTiernan... The beam builds, on the arm. Yeah, the way McTiernan builds it up. You know, we've not seen that beam. That's the first time we see it. And mm. you immediately know what it is. Like it, it's alien, but it's recognizable. And again, McTiernan's yeah. just... I don't know. I'm not obviously put it all on him. He's the director, but there are other creatives uh, behind the camera, but they're all doing stellar work because we mentioned it in Event Horizon, didn't we? With sci-fi. So very easily can it go a little bit goofy and a little bit silly and funny. And I, mm-hmm. I, I did read about the original creature and, and, and I've seen the pictures and it does look ridiculous. Red lobster. Yeah, the, the lobster, the lobster head <laughs> thing. Lobster. I mean, it is, it's, isn't it? It's kind I of was going to mention it when you were talking about Arnie because it wasn't big enough. He's only like five nine or something, I think. Uh, no. uh, Jean Claude. Oh, but yeah, Van Damme. Yeah. And, but in the suit, he'd be a little, a little bigger. But a, it was kind of like weird this weird alien head on it, like a alien head and it was on stilts and it couldn't move properly, but it, it need, you needed another, um, a, a creature that could rival Arnold. It needed to be something that wasn't laughable and and a, a physical threat to Arnold at the end, where they're both kind of stripped off and uh, it's it's man on man on beast. I guess that's maybe from that original conception where the line that Dylan says about it being a lizard, because obviously Predator doesn't actually in reality. Well, she says it's like a chameleon too. I think it links into that a bit because it changes colors. Maybe and- in the original script, and that's what they took as the concept. Like conceptual artists went, okay, well, they literally just drew a big lizard, which is why it looks so ridiculous. Yeah. But I did read the story it's, about James Cameron trying to take ca- uh, credit for it, which is... It's, it's, all, it's not that he tries to take credit. Stan Winston actually mm. uh, uh, for, uh, himself says uh, it was... The mandible it was, bit. It was Cameron's... Mm. Well, it was Cameron's suggestion. He said, I've always wanted to see a thing with mandibles. Yeah, but was, the mandibles isn't the entire thing. I mean, he can, he's only taking credit for the mandibles. I mean, the, the Predator is an incredible design. And they talked a bit about before. It's like, yeah, just knock us off another H. Giga, you know, another thing that's worthy to that creature. You can't just come up with something like that. And I think, and they obviously fucked it up the first time, but the, the second effort has, has really stood the test of time. I, I like it. And I know there's some controversy with the Rastafarian kind of uh, uh, element to it, but I don't think it was designed 
intentionally that way. I think they were just pulling visual references from things. I, it, it's, I mean, it's understandable to kind of, you know, to look back over these things because it probably was done. It wasn't done intentionally. I think it was probably just done thoughtlessly. Like we're just, oh, we're, we're grabbing. It's a cool things. visual yeah. and maybe nothing beyond that. You know, you said about pulling from Giga, but the fact that when the Predator's mask comes off, he's got a pussy face. I mean, it looks a bit <laughs> like... <laughs> It looks a bit like a face hugger. Face hugger. Yeah, there you go. It does. There's a sexual element to it, and uh, they, they are drawing on that. And it's it's the aliens factor the year before. It's also, I think because of the he looks just so much like a guy in a suit. So I think you needed something to make it like um, outlandishly wild, and the fact that you know it is kind of, it's horrifying the way the, the the little teeth and the claws kind of open up the fucking mm. animatronics on that face are so expressive it's unbelievable yeah. how good that stands yeah. that stands but i up. think physically as well as well as everything around him kevin peter hall plays predator he's mm-hmm. great yeah you yeah. know i like we all had he just done harry and the hendersons hadn't he and yeah. he's he shows a physical side of acting and emotion and the rage, the physicality. And yeah, we talked about it a bit on Halloween, didn't we? And how, yeah. and or even the, maybe on a Jason one, did we ever discuss it? Like different people playing these masked characters and it does really come it through does, the physicality. Yeah. The, the, the moment in this film is when he takes the mask off and then spreads his arms out. And that, that feels like the moment where he yeah. really does express himself fully. Um, and, and then he kind of like creeps up towards Arnold and that's when he, throws a steve trump at him and he goes bad idea which it was yeah cracking little scene there when he does um just to go back to something you said matt a little time to terminator for me is when the predator's injured and this is like diy surgery on himself to fix the injury in the leg and there's an element even though it's alien and you don't recognize it in the green blood i don't really know what the injury is i still wince and it's kind of like oh that looks painful and he's screaming i think um I think he does a good job because you can see the hands are quite tricky to play with with such intricate uh, elements. But he <laughs> get a bit rubbery, aren't they? It, places, it's hard, but... but he does he does well. Fair play. Yeah, and that that also means that he's fallible too. So you, you Arnold can, yeah, exactly. Arnold can defeat him. He has to outsmart him. Also, he yeah. has a massive advantage. Uh, I watched it with Danielle the other night. And she did say that, like, the Predator cheats. She's like, it does cheat. And I was like, well, he is taking every that's, advantage that he's got, which one of them being that he's do, close. Though, yeah, and exactly. That is exactly it's, what hunters do. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you, know, the, you know, if you're hunting, like, if, if anyone goes big game hunting or even, you know, deer hunting or whatever, you're not doing it, like, in bare hands. You're taking a giant rifle with the scopes on it. So the fact mm-hmm. that he has that shoulder cannon, which is so cool the way he turns his head, Mm. in that one shot yeah, that's crack him. him um it's like it's another one of those you know use one quick visual mm-hmm. to, to tell a whole bunch of story stuff stan yeah. winston man yeah. again yeah. yeah friend of the show we'd love him yeah look look yeah. what he's created yeah. we've mentioned it before about heroes and villains and duality and we you know we die hard um how gruber and and mclean though different have similarities they Arnold or Dutch and the Predator similar have got an ethical code, don't they? So, you know, Devlin, you mentioned the Predator didn't kill Anna because she didn't have a weapon, no sport. And and Arnold doesn't kill um, indiscriminately. You know, we're a rescue team. We're not assassins. Uh, again, mm. kind of slightly gets undercut by how much joy they get in massacring the, uh, the rebels. <laughs> but 
they they have an ethical code and i always found that quite interesting and and that was that that to me feeds into why the predator right at the end says okay we'll go mano a mano knife on knife because he does toy with him doesn't he when he got a chance mm. to kill him when he comes out of the water and he just puts mm-hmm. the blades in between his head. Yeah. And that is nightmare fuel for me. Always shitted yeah. me off as a kid. Just like, you know, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. Bang. Blades in between his head. That tied back into Die Hard as well. We talked about the, uh, they were originally terrorists in the script and McTiernan, in order to inject some joy, made them robbers. And here, uh, Dutch's team are a rescue team. They're not assassins. So I think that allows us to relate to them a bit more and find them more likable. Mm. I really like the, um, uh, in the end, in the big end battle as well. Um, you say like the duality and the kind of, um, the battle of wits. Uh, Gally, you mm. mentioned that like the, the end of the film is essentially a, a silent movie and it's just, it's action that is, is, is explaining character throughout. So the um, Arnie's hiding in his tree after he's uh, beckoned the predator to him, and he throws a he throws a rock. Oh, this is after he swung from the tree. He he grabs a rock yeah. and he throws it. So of course, immediately uh, the cannon fires at where the rock is, and that's so that Dutch can see where the predator is. But at this point, the predator has also realized that that's what he's done, and thus is using the cannon thing to locate. The trajectory, the trajectory of it, he tracks it back. Own. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's kind of this great, like, back and forth. And it's just, it's so kind of, um, it's just so like, efficient. No fat on this carcass. Predator's already skinned it all. No fat whatsoever. Like, just as a movie, it is so efficiently <laughs> delved out. And like, again, visual storytelling, because, you know, we've talked about Arnold's performance and, and I, I also think he's doing really good work here, but it is still relatively early in his career and he is kind of mangling some of the words so you kind of need to keep dutch's dialogue down to a minimum do you do you think he's ever been better dramatically true lies i think uh in an action and obviously terminator 2 but he is playing stoic i feel like he's winking a bit in true lies have you seen escape plan but there's a bit when he's acting in his mother tongue he's just speaking in german and it's like oh fucking hell like I, I remember watching it. I was really taken aback by how effective he was acting in German. Like, wow, it feels amazing. Maybe McTiernan would have actually liked to do that. Because one thing he says on the commentary or either the commentary or the making of documentary is that he says um, he has a real problem when he works with actors because he likes the, the, the feel of dialogue and he likes the way dialogue makes um, actors uh, uh, work together. And he says that he knows that it's kind of essential but he doesn't like, sometimes he doesn't like the actual words. He doesn't like how literal it is. Um, so that's why he has, he has passages where he has, um, untranslated foreign language dialogue. Uh, like with the, the terrorists in, uh, in Die Hard. I think he likes the, the feel of it and for you to understand the meaning of the scene. I think someone else who, who does it, um, is Spielberg. Like everything, Spielberg has untranslated foreign languages in almost everything. And I'd watch that stuff as a kid and I wouldn't understand what was being said but purely just that the visual storytelling would be enough and mctiernan is that good i think he's he's really alongside spielberg yes he's speaking dialogue for these examples i'm giving now but i think arnie gives an extraordinary uh sense of capability in this like you don't you never 
question how capable he is. There's as soon as she says there was blood on the leaves, if it bleeds, we can kill it. He's immediately makes a conclusion. There's the gun, her not having a gun. I, I also like that he's smart enough to know that um, Dylan is uh, is being is deceiving them. That there's a lot of long looks between the two of them where he, he knows all along that there's something. Uh, yeah, it's when he's here. talking about rebel patrols, isn't he? That rebel patrols coming through all the time. Yeah, he doesn't buy <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, he does not buy yeah. it one yeah, bit. Yeah. The other good moment is Arnold's got lots of reactions where, again, you need to believe that he's concerned. And he does it. I think the the moment when he's like, Jim Hopper... I knew this man. That, that's one of my favorite shots too. You know, when they open the vault in Die Hard and they, and the camera moves into hands, um, there's a very similar, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Ode to Joy bit. And then there's a very similar one where I think Max swings the dog tags over yeah. and Dutch catches them. And there's the exact same, as McTiernan says, unmotivated camera move, um, where the camera kind of just booms down and tilts up and it just, it looks fantastic. I, I love that. He um he credited Don McAlpine uh a lot on this film. He said that um this was McAlpine's first um American film, but that he'd had a lot of experience in Australia, which probably really helped with uh some of the conditions not being great. Because if you've ever seen um Not Quite Hollywood, the documentary about the uh Ozploitation genre, this is probably where Don McAlpine would have got his start. So you know, we always say mm-hmm. that like the He said he protected him, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. We we always say that there's a, a tendency for filmmakers who have gone through the ringer in one way or another to tend to be like much better technicians later on. And I would imagine coming up in Australian exploitation cinema in the seventies would train you for pretty much everything. But um, that he said that there were shots he would pull off that he wouldn't have been able to get an American cinematographer to do, like things that you wouldn't really notice unless he was pointing it out on the commentary. He said there was a a shot after the camp massacre where um he has a a long 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 dolly shot that then at the end of it flips around through a full 180 degree um rotation to change the entire um uh uh the the layout of cross yeah, the, line. the layout of the, the layout of all the characters he said I, I couldn't have got anyone to do that this is a this is a shot that technically is wrong but it's what i wanted and um that's that's kind of great that you know and also i guess less so than die hard die hard is is very impressively shiny and kind of beautiful looking and this one looks a lot rougher but i think it really suits the 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 tone of what they're doing it was difficult for them too because it was so it was on like an incline as well if you're shooting in the jungle Mm. laying any kind of track must have been incredibly difficult to level them all out i think the um the jib shot that reveals uh hawkins body yes that's a great shot great great shot and also the techno crane one where they just before they uh attack the camp there's a techno crane one that took a like an entire day or an afternoon or I can't remember, but the, where they're kind of commando crawling down through the leaves, which we used to pretend yeah. to do as, as kids, and you get get the binoculars out, you know. I, what I like about the cinematography as well, though, and the direction is the it's amazing how big the jungle is, and we understand it, and we see these wide shots, but how claustrophobic this film can feel at times. There's close-ups yeah, and they're surrounded yeah. by all this uh, shrubbery and everything. And he, mm. he close-ups is a that is an amazing shot of Carl Weathers. It's a close-up of him as he's looking and he's following the predators. The predator runs through him, and it's he feels so isolated there, and it's, it's extraordinary mm. stuff. Well, the other the other thing to point out is besides just how challenging and grueling it would be to shoot in this background, is ordinarily, and this is where 
yeah, a lot of wax for me for for old John McTiernan. And um, this is a B movie plot with a kind of B movie location. You know, ordinarily you go to the jungle because it's cheap because you you know it's woods, it's leaves, it's trees, and you can mud. kick a vulture. Yeah, right? you can you can do all those things. <laughs> but, but the reason, but, but we've seen that, or I've certainly seen this movie many many times replicated since and before where it's just get a group of people put them in the woods and have something chase them that you can barely make out and they're always kind of cheap and nasty this film holds your i never get bored of the backdrop which is an absolute credit to the cinematography and mctiernan's the way he shoots it and the actors themselves because how easy would it be because we're in the jungle for at least an hour and a half after they've done the you know the helicopter drop in um and at no point am i ever kind of bored by the backdrop well you Mm. believe the journey here don't you you don't think well that's the same place that you know there's a real journey throughout this and what i particularly appreciated the other day and i think this is born of our discussion on halloween is some of the empty frames and there's a few slow pans in as well, uh, zooms in, or I think as well that the predator could be anywhere in those shots, mm. like uh, in Halloween. And I've really appreciated that that this time round, and that you know, there's an element of horror in this film. Uh, there's quite a few little genre kind of coming together beautifully. McTiernan said that he he came out of suspense. I haven't seen Nomads, which was the the first one with friend Pierce. of the show. Uh... But yeah, (laughs) apparently, yeah, that has a lot of suspense in it. And and that's something he he understood and he just wanted to take it to another level. It works. It really works. Well, here's a question for you all then. So I'm looking at some of the fan theories. Um, I'll go with the, the first one, which is that structurally, a lot of people now retrospectively apply to Predator that the structure is 80s action code coda which i I definitely agree with you know the first 30 minutes with the raid on the gorilla camp and then uh what we would call a gear shift or a change in a mashup a genre mashup so we talked about it in from dust till dawn where you're in a a crime caper thriller with a weirdo quinton and a kind of super sexy george and then all of a sudden we're in a vampire movie and we're at the titty twister. A super trashy yeah. vampire movie, of course. Yeah. Lesbian vampire killers. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Less said about oh, no. that, the better. <laughs> Pardon. But the the thinking is that um essentially the, the, the elite group are reduced to teens in a in a horror movie with a, a masked killer. As so I wondered what <laughs> yeah. you guys thought about it. I mean it kind of fits. Yeah, so there's a slasher influence to Alien, and I feel like maybe this is just taken from Alien. Do you not think that the, you said it earlier, Gally, that it was narrowed down to 1v1? You said to James Cameron, like, influence in Terminator, that, that, uh, will, absolutely will not give up and it's just chasing to kill. Um, but you could argue the Predators, like, in three distinct acts anyway. You know, the, the action felt the 80s, testosterone fueled action film at the first act the stalker mm-hmm. uh and picking them off picking them off one by one uh in the middle section and then the home alone element at the <laughs> the end, <home> yeah. <laughs> it's just in the final in the final third it's in <laughs> yeah. in timeout terms as well it kind of works because the uh the the camp raid sequence basically finishes roughly 30 minutes in and that's the first sustained glimpse we get of the heat vision and that's that the introduction of the of the predator in the first person uh heat vision thing 
is so great because it it really does come out of nowhere and it's very unsettling and the the um the audio is weird that the replaying the the dialogue over and over and over again at different at different pitches i got the stopwatch out if you're interested i, I likened it to peeling an onion oh, carol and duffy it's like a snake it, <laughs> <laughs> it like a snake it is kind of shedding its skin each time it's like uh first it's like an ominous slasher pov that we've mentioned and then you've got like the alien hand which is the pov mm. with the dead scorpion i love that it changes holds. color now, I wondered what you thought about that, because without that, uh, without the first shot of the movie, which is like uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, yeah. where you see the, the the spaceship and the pod that goes to Earth, as we always forget, like I always talk to you, Gally, about it. We, we always we, forget we it exists. We forget, but if you've never listened to John McTiernan's commentary, I mean, it's like he's it's, never, he never made, you never oh, made the movie, yeah. it's like, oh, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> so... <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'd heard that um, that this was added on. This was, you know, this is one of the old things of like, yeah, studio notes have made him do it. But apparently, according to him, it's like, no, it was always in there. They they shot it really like he just forgets. He always forgets, like we all do. But it is interesting. It looks great, actually. It's it's a cool looking shot, especially and, with the music. But if you remove that, we're, we're, it's a good way to set it up. But if you remove that, the first sign that there is an alien in the movie is the POV of the claw. Mm. Which would that have more impact without that? first shot is a debatable thing or do we want in the back of our mind that it could be an alien is that is that a, a, a good thing this is mctiernan's great trick in both die hard and predator is that if you're going to do a like a mashup or if you're going to do a where you're going to you think you're in one movie and you're going to be another you need to make the 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 movie you're originally think you're in as entertaining as the thing that it's about to come into so die hard we're following john mcclain and we've got Holly and we've got his trouble with his, uh, with his marriage. We've got Alice being, being all coked up and, you know, check the Rolex. All of that is actually, Boobies. all of that is really interesting <laughs> stuff. Like I'm never bored in Die Hard before the terrorists come or they're not terrorists. In Predator, it's the same. It's like not, not on my board. If the whole film was them just taking out rebels, then yeah, it's commando and it would not be as good. But the first 30 minutes are, as filled with as much as it can get into before it completely shifts and before it becomes a sci-fi, you know, creature feature. It, it's actually 15 minutes when we see the first glimpse of the predator and it's not the POV, which I always thought it was, but do you know that bit where Billy drinks from the vine? Oh, yeah. He cuts the vine. And he looks up, and he drinks doesn't he? It at the, yeah. But at the very beginning of that shot, just as it cuts, there is a cloaked predator oh. that runs by. And that's 15 minutes in. That's the first time you see it. And then 18 minutes in, you get the POV jungle heat vision. And then uh, 34 minutes, you get the hand with the scorpion. So that's where it becomes sci-fi. So you're probably right there that that's the beginning of the second act. And then 53 minutes, you get the uncloaked predator where, as Patrick was saying, uh, like the Terminator stuff where it, it puts that clamp on its leg to stop it from bleeding and then one hour 19 is when we see the full predator when it comes out of the water and it's all malfunctioning and then there's only 25 minutes of the film left and we still haven't seen this thing it's one one hour 35 when the the face with the mandibles is revealed and there's eight minutes of the film left when we when we see it so it's the jaws technique again of slowly un, unraveling it and using little techniques not showing you everything at the beginning, just slowly unraveling. Well, it's, it's the the best two bits of 
I think where McTiernan is very smart is a forgot about the the landing at the beginning. We start the film in space and we end up in a jungle, which is wild anyway. But the the last line of the is it the last line? Arnie's last line of the film: "What the hell are you?" It's great. And then the aliens saying it back to him. That's that's a great like. I don't know, little little payoff between the two of them. I had this little discussion with Danielle, which was, does the Predator understand or comprehend what what is actually being said, or does it parrot? But the laugh makes you think that it that it does understand what at least laughing is. He's such a bad loser, isn't he? He's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna set off a nuclear bomb here now because I've lost. There was some stuff there where they were originally going to end up on the spaceship uh, in the first movie, and John McTiernan called it. Uh, what did he call it? A yucky notion. He called it, so he didn't want to do it. So that all ended up in the second movie. Well, he said there was stuffed team members. So you'd see like the characters come back, but in like a weird stuffed mm. form. But I think they abandoned that for the, uh, the skull, right. uh, taking the skulls as trophies, yeah, it's, which it's is a much cooler. Oh, I love the way he whips that skull out of, um, is it Billy? No, it, it is the right instincts though, because then, then you start thinking about, you know, Independence Day did it when they have an alien. And it's like, oh, how do their controls work? Oh, it's just back to front. Oh, right. Okay, fine. (laughs) Yeah, you see too much. Also, Close Encounters, that there's two people, two kinds of people, people who like the the director's cut and and, and going aboard the ship and people who don't. And that the mystique of it is always better for me. That's that theory. The other one, which um, the other two, which I know you're 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 all going to hate me on, but this is not me. This is me looking at letterbox and and fan theories is that um you, you've been in the basement this week Gally. i have i've also been growing well i was growing my beard but then uh, mac showed me that i can shave without foam um the other thing is uh <laughs> yeah, was mac, mac yeah, not yeah, mac yeah. Yeah. Uh, allegory yeah. for the vietnam war classic in it 1987 so you know it's gonna be Ooh. you know fighting a foe uh, in the jungle, but then it is technologically advanced. Is that a hangover from Aliens mm. again? A little bit. All, yeah, all your Same weaponry and all your this film, yeah. I think. all your weaponry and all your financial might won't you know won't won't mean shit against. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. But if you use Viet, well, Viet Cong techniques, that will defeat the the greater foe. I guess is the um, is the theory behind it. You know, the Boy Scout yeah. bullshit. I think sometimes uh, letterboxed. I don't know. I, I'm just, you said letterbox. I have no idea if this happens on letterbox a lot or not. I just mean like fan theories that I think sometimes you can just kind of confuse, um, ambient influence and just the fact that scripts and films have to come from somewhere. So you are going to pull ideas from the fucking world to put them in. But I think that, uh, uh often that can be confused for like one to one allegory, right? Like people are desperately searching for a meaning whereby really it's just. I needed to write something, so I had this idea, or this idea, or this idea. I, I, I put it in. So I'm sure. I mean, they mentioned Vietnam. We've mentioned yeah. like um, post-structuralism yeah. before, I think, on the podcast, and th- th- there's meaning to be found mm. if you. Yeah, if you but, but at the same time, the bomb at the end, you know, it's still technically Cold War, and if that bomb at the end is, yeah, could be symbolic of yeah the time as well. And also, I mean, like the CIA dicking around in Central America was happening all through, at that exact time as well. Like Reagan's CIA yeah. was, was they, they really did this. For, it's a foreign for, policy comment. decades, yeah. yeah. Although destabilizing I, I, regional economies. And I do think the film is, is, wise, is wise enough to just, um, 
hint but not yeah, um, yeah. not not explore too too deeply. The other one um, is is AIDS, obviously uh, topical at the time, but the unseen killer that can dis- disembowel you, which I did think was a real stretch. I've got to say that one that one wasn't for me. So, the thing I with think, the blood test, I can yeah. almost get there, but a predator, I I never thought about AIDS. Okay, uh, here's one that I can pull out of my ass. And- <laughs> Got on letterboxd um okay if you are coding the predator <laughs> as uh not just um uh african in, in in origin but like kind of traditional african hunter and you have um uh a very caucasian white man called dutch oh is it, is it an inversion of colonialist tropes the boer war continues i like it is it an inversion of colonialist tropes well i I did have something on that a little bit as well, Devlin, like where Arnie, who is in essence in real life an immigrant, mm-hmm. and then there's this alien come down and they're fighting each other on behalf. He's fighting on behalf of the US. There's something you could read into that, but I just think he is the hero in an action film. Well, I think, uh, I think this is, this comes down to, and I know you've got some stuff on this, Patrick, but you know, it's fascinating when you look at the Arnold versus Stallone. And how they were used in movies. We talked about it in The Rock about the the military industrial complex that Michael Bay uh, and hit a lot of his movies. Clearly, there is a kind of pro U.S. military stance. The way that Arnold and Sly were used was so different. Like Sly was the introvert PTSD vet who then becomes Arnold in Number Two, Three, and many more. Uh, and then Arnold was always like. He, to me, represents the US, despite him being an immigrant from Austria. Like, it's mad to me that he comes in and essentially becomes the highest paid actor in Hollywood and comes to represent everything about American dominance and strength. It's funny you say that, though. Like, on Rambo 2, um, it had a very big fan in Ronald Reagan, that film. And, uh, he said, he announced that the next time after watching it, he announced that the next time that terrorists took US citizens hostage, the administration would know what to do. <laughs> so he's very pro like America then, but Arnie talking of like Sly, you know, they, they're loggerheads in the eighties anyway. But he, he said, I think it was more in his commentary on commando, but of predator as well likening uh comparing himself to sly he said that the difference is that we don't pretend that violence is justified by patriotic pride or that flag waving is a lot of bullshit i i had another thing about the american dream and maybe arnold is someone who understands america by by being an outsider and i find myself in a weird situation of agreeing with gene siskel uh they did a, a special on arnie uh siskel and ebert it's in the uh the playlist and uh, he said, you, you wouldn't call Sylvester Stallone Sylvester. You wouldn't call John Wayne John, but we call Arnold Schwarzenegger Arnold. So there's, there's this, you know, relatable element to him. And it's almost like that the stuff we talked about with Roger Moore, he knows what kind of film he's in. He's, he's often winking. He's not winking too much in Predator. Uh, and there's another factor that they talked about, which was this idea of the boy and the man, uh, and as a love interest. So he, he can appeal to the youth. Uh, in like a wrestling aspect that I was trying to kind of tie in. That was kind of my in. And then also the man, uh, in terms of getting that pump, you know, and, uh, the, the, the masculinity of it all. But also at, at this point, he's an attractive 
love interest. So he's, he's ticking a lot of boxes a- across the board here. And maybe, um, I, I, I don't know why Stallone didn't quite click with me. Uh, but I, I didn't see any of the, the Rocky stuff until much, much later, but I was always into Arnold's, uh, films. He never, never kind of tried to high road people and claim that he was any sort of artist, right? It fascinates me with, with his history and journey as an actor is that people forget how smart he is. So I've read um, his book, Total Recall, which if you've not read it, uh, I recommend it if you're interested in, if you're interested in Schwarzenegger or if you're just interested in a kind of, you know, living the American dream story. Obviously, some of it you'd have to take at face value, but he is a lot smarter than people give him credit for. And I think if it weren't for Predator and working with John McTiernan, I do wonder if he would have lived in in where Van Damme's space was, which is these kind of like B-movie, Dino De Laurentiis, kind of low, relatively low budget, you know, almost like straight to video stuff just above that. This for me is his kind of like breakout role. Cause I understand as, as far as Terminator, but he is just the Terminator at this point and he's none. And then he's, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And as I, as I mentioned earlier on in the show, I feel like he's actually giving a performance here. But he doesn't get this role unless he did Commando. Commando's 85, Running Man Predator is 87, I think. What I think happens is Arnold then starts to say, actually, you know what? I care about who's behind the camera as well as yeah, in front. Yeah. And w- Weathers, you know, he cares about who he's acting alongside. As and then he's, then he's like, if I'm going to do a comedy mm. or I'm going to do a comedy crossover, I'm going to get the best director to do that and it's funny because twins was his biggest box office to date when he did it which is wild to think considering what he did in the 80s and it goes back to what devlin said like his Mm. his peak was so short-lived because i think we said it was 15 years 85 if you if you go is it terminators 85 or 80 84 84? okay so if we go 84 84. to 99 because i i say is cut off from being a major studio draw is end of days. It's the last time a studio gives yeah. him and, and it's, million it's waning plus. at that point. Yeah. You know, like Eraser didn't do super well. End of days didn't do super well. Batman was, and Robin I mean, is a disaster. So yeah, so it, the, the mid like the 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 wheels were coming off after Last Action mm. Hero. Unfortunately, yeah, it, it's re- a True Lies is almost like his swan song. Like, well, this is the yeah. last great Arnold movie. Eraser's fine. But I remember the guns more than I remember the film. Yeah. I like a razor. Oh, and the croc, uh, he punches an alligator, which is unforgettable. I think it's an alligator or is it a crocodile? Someone will have to it's, let me know. It's good fun. To but it's a fucking it, lizard. It doesn't have, um, <laughs> it's, it's good fun. It's a vulture. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm thinking oh. of him biting that. Is it a vulture in Kona? Oh, Kona. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I'd never seen until I watched it with you in the Prince Charles. I'm watching that like, oh my God. He punches a horse in Red Sonja. He punches a reindeer in Jingle All The Way. (laughs) 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 That's my favorite. But speaking of uh, animals, can I just mention some of my favorite frames in Predator? It's the flying hog shot. It is absolutely (laughs) hysterical. Every time I watch it, I pause it because I'm just imagining like me or someone like you, Patrick, in the background out of frame, (laughs) chucking the hog. (laughs) 
Like, and action hog. <laughs> but then, then I wonder, because the vulture got kicked, do we think it's a real pig that Bill Duke... I think it's real. Yeah. Uh, uh, according to McT, I'm afraid not. Oh. They did kick what, a vulture. What did he say? Animatronic? They did kick a... Uh, they did stab a scorpion. Okay. Wow. Uh, but he said that no, uh, uh, the, the pig, I guess it was just some special effect. Cause when he, when you look down at the, at the pig and it's been killed and it's like quivering, he <laughs> says, look how fake it, it is. <laughs> <laughs> says, uh, it could be just people shaking it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But I, it reminded me of Hearts of Darkness. It looked very real to me. Mm. I but, love Bill Duke's acting once he's killed. It's like, like ah, I killed you. I killed you. Yeah. He's, he's very good <laughs> in that uh, exasperated moment. Which reminds me, actually. Um, so this year, listeners, we have a new uh, award that we're going to give. Um, not to every film, because sometimes every film doesn't have it. But it is the Ham Neal Award for, <laughs> oh, for, no. for Best Performance, which essentially the... Um, the mantra is it doesn't necessarily mean that someone is um chewing the scenery or um you know is is pure ham and cheese um but is what the the maverick the ace in the the joker in the pack can we can we say that that bill duke is is doing things that no one else is doing in this movie. Can we I'd rather give it to Hawkins. The Ham Neal Award? No. I think w- when Bill Duke is doing, is reciting the Little Richard stuff, when I was a kid, I didn't even know he was reciting the song. I, d- <laughs> I didn't just know thought he what was he was doing. Gibberish. Yeah, yeah, I did. Because it doesn't sound like the song. Oh, baby, no, no, no. It sounds like he's talking about oh, Michelle Pfeiffer. I didn't know what he was on about. <laughs> but it, it was really peculiar. But yeah, so I would, if we have to give it, I, I'd, uh, I'd probably lean towards Bill. I would say that Bill Duke is doing way more work. You mean he's elevating the, the thesp count? A little Fair bit. Enough, well, yeah. I don't know anyone else in the cast who could have been like, I see you. I'm like, that is, <laughs> that is Ham Neal. For me, he deserves the Ham Neal Award. Are you interested in uh, a Critics Corner? I've got one as well, Matt. I was shocked at how much shade this movie got in in 87. That's why I got one, because mine's from the LA Times, and they said that it's arguably one of the emptiest, feeblest, most derivative scripts ever made. That's crazy to me. Like, that's that's hard target. What are they on about? When I read that, I couldn't believe it, and I thought, I've I've got to... Creek's corner that yeah well uh siskel's the villain at my end and uh and roger is a little bit closer to to getting it right as usual siskel called it pure boredom what uh and he has no taste at all uh he even managed to sneak in an an aliens dig because he didn't like aliens because he didn't like that the kid was in peril um, he said, the last thing I want to see is another commando. Uh, and he called it an extraterrestrial slimy creature with an overbite. Uh, it's very condescending. He said it was like seeing outtakes from the film Aliens. But no at some point he started to praise the creature and Ebert, um, defended it and he got a sick burn in. He said, uh, um, so you like the creature, but as long as it's invisible <laughs> and, uh, and he said, you must have enjoyed the early scenes in The Invisible Man, too. Hey. And uh, Siskel didn't like that. But uh, uh, e- Ebert kind of leveled things out. He said, it's a pure summer action picture, cross between Aliens and Rambo. And he said, Friday night entertainment. That's that's great. And then and then Siskel bit back and said that Ebert's standards were dropping. Wow. So um, it divided them. If, if I may say that uh, away from the glare of the television cameras and in his Chicago Sun-Times column, 
Uh, Eber was quite complimentary. He gave it a three-star review and he's on a four-star system. And he said that it's filmed very well, slick, high energy. Uh, he said it begins like Rambo and ends like Alien. And in today's Hollywood, that's creativity. Most movies are inspired only by one previous blockbuster. And he said, it's the kind, <laughs> it's the kind of idea produced at the end of a 10 second brainstorming session. But if it's done well, who cares? I, I could understand Gene Siskel's, uh, criticism. Uh, if it was all just like the first act, we, we just broke it down, didn't we? Into these three different specific acts. And if it had stayed the same, like the A team stuff, he'd be absolutely right. But it doesn't. It evolves into something that is quite original. Mm. Or maybe he got his back up in the first 30 minutes and then he just dismissed the rest of the movie. Cause I, I, I guess we, oh, that wouldn't be like, that wouldn't him, be would like him. But I guess the one thing that we are all not is professional critics and watching four or five films a day would, Need would do team. my tits in. Hey. Oh, oops! Well done. Not, not, not. Sorry, I, don't, I really don't like it. I'm gonna have to retire it because my, are, my you heart are literally rate speaking right hell of the dead every time. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. If you were alive, then I would understand this duel, but he can't. He can't write back. But I think, I think it's fair. These were the preeminent critics, at least in America, of their day. They mm. were the most influential. Well, one critics. of the problems with them for me is that they're two-minute segments on the TV clips that that I watch, and you can't do anything in two minutes. No, I mean, we, they, we've proven they, they that, just... Matt. We need two hours. <laughs> they barely scratch the surface of anything, and it's just. I, I think Ebert's written pieces are are much better. I'd agree with that. I mean, where does this sit now? Do you think, as far as for modern audiences and for where you know, if someone says. Oh, have you never seen Predator? Are they saying it's a modern action masterpiece or are they saying it's good, fun, popcorn, fair? I mean, where do you think it lives? Well, anything that lasts this long, you have to give it credit for that. But it, it's, it, again, it's not the most intelligent film in the yeah. world. But it, it, for me, I'm a total dummy. You know, I, I just turn into a 10 year old when I watch it again. I just love mm. it on, on that level. Mm. It's not testing me intellectually, but it, it always delivers the, the same stuff so to a newcomer it'd be very hard for me to to you know reconcile with i don't know how i do how like watching films now though Matt, you've always got me thinking about how people today view them and do, do they yeah. pass the test of time and stuff this one for me yeah Gally, like you yeah it's not it's, it's not just a dumb arnold film like if someone said oh um no. what do you think of running man i would say oh it's atypical arnold you know go with it it's schlocky it's fun but it's a good yeah. bingo board one for Matt. But, but, Gets the girl but Predator and... doesn't, yeah. you know, I, it is, I would yeah. never say that a Predator. I'd never say, oh, this is a, this is just like a typical Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It really isn't. And that's, that, that is where I think its strength lies is that it kind of undercuts his stardom. And also it's the first time in watching an Arnold film where I'm like, he is probably going to die here. He's at, he's completely outmatched. And it's only through, um, fortune with the mud. Uh, he didn't see me. Uh, that, 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 that he's then able to kind of gain an advantage. I think I remember the Prince Charles as well. I think Lev said of all the seven films he watched, that was the one he deemed to be the best. Even yeah. though we had Terminator and Terminator Two. Yeah. Mm. Um, Kiara had never seen it. This was, uh, um, I think this is a film that we were, uh, we were all kind of fell on when we were like either preteen or, or, or very early teens. And I think. We talk sometimes about films kind of categorizing themselves as boy movies and girl movies, and it's reductive, but it's reductive because it's kind of how things played out when we were kids. And by and large, this was a film that that guys would watch, and it wasn't a film that probably uh, girls were not encouraged to watch. So mm. she'd never seen it, and she was incredibly tense throughout. And she said it was actually uh, agreed that it's it's a legitimately well made film, 
And I don't think that that's, that's basically the thing. It's not that it's, mm. I don't think it's, uh, uh, you've got something like alien, which could aspire to genuinely be considered like a sort of, uh, you know, pop culture art yeah. kind of yeah. like there's, there's more to it. I think it doesn't get up to there because it's no. aspirations aren't that high, but it's an extraordinarily, extraordinarily well-made film. And I think it's going to play, you put it in front of anyone, like we said, just because of the clarity with which they, have expressed the idea. I think the the critics were being a little reductive when they said, you know, a well, it's a you know, it's a a ten second idea, but if it's well made, who cares? Like as if that you can just sort of toss that out. It's it's been proven time and again that this kind of stuff is not easy to pull off. It's not easy mm. to pull off this level of of of, of yeah. clarity and and tension and uh, to drag an audience through. It's quite a long film. I, well, it, Melissa was similar, Dev. Yeah, uh, she first time for first her too. time wasn't the film she expected, especially with the opening. Uh, you know, she found it quite um, goofy, as Gally would say, in the attack on the village. And she thought, I thought it was a good film in the way I like Taken. <laughs> like, <laughs> like a stupid film that I love. But she, I mean, should have heard a gasp when, um, uh, when Dylan lost his arm. Mm. And she could not believe, you know, there's four deaths there within about two minutes. She couldn't believe it. You know, she was shocked to a mm-hmm. core and like really into it. Yeah. Same with, uh, same with Danielle. The other, the, the shot that always gets her. She, she grabbed my hand on Friday. Arnie's on the tree right at the end when he's trying to lure the predator and the predator just crawls over him and you just see yeah. through the, uh, through the cloak. I mean, that's nightmare fuel stuff mm-hmm. because that is just something that you can't see that's creeping behind you. It's, it's, it's primal. Like, and it's great effect. It's, it's just a great effect. And there's loads of little moments like that uh, within, within the film. Like, like I said, that as a kid, this scared the shit out of me. I mentioned it in our Predator 2 review. I'll no doubt mention it again in our next Predator 2, 2 review. But, you know, I would constantly have nightmares of the Predator chasing me because it could see my heat. And, uh, and, it, and that's it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he always skews you at the end with his claws. I, I'm playing possum pretending. Gally had dead. a pot of clay at home. No, 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 I didn't. Well, yeah, I, I, went, I, went to, I went to bed uh, before school and just lathered up. But um, yeah, no, it was, um, it, it really is quite effective. Uh, one of the things we haven't mentioned, we really should before we uh, wrap up is um, the music and the sound design. I t- kind of touched upon it before, but in a sci-fi film, sound design is so important because... Pew, pew, pew. Mm. Event Horizon, we, we mentioned that sequence where it sounded like stock sound yeah. and it really did Soundboard, bring it down. Yeah. In this, everything just makes kind of sense despite it clearly not making sense. Like the sound of the laser when it's honing in, mm, the, even just, yeah. the, even just the predators like little, you know, it's like a cat purring, isn't it? Almost. Yeah. It's kind of a heartbeat when you're in the infrared POV yeah. stuff. Like, mm-mm. Mm-hmm. I love all that sound. Wow. Well, one thing I noticed, uh, we've watched a few of the sequels too. I've gone a bit ahead for the uh, RMP. What is it called? LVRMP. LVRMP. And, uh, and, and in some of the sequels, um, the score and the sound effects are kind of stripped away. So there's nothing really linking back to the original. Predator 2 has it all. They, they oh, yes. Down and some jungle noises. Uh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but um but by the time it's Alien versus Predator, you're kind of starting again and the the score is just nothing. You can, you can it's not Al- Alan Silvestri does but, it's 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 propulsive, isn't it? Yeah. Like even when they get off the chopper and it's like dun 
dun dun dun dun dun yeah. dun you just immediately like my yeah. my heart rate is going up because i'm getting excited because i'm like dun dun it's just great. I, just, I mean, I could literally hum it. That's how good and memorable the score is. I just is. love the well into it. Yeah, I love Sylvester. Well, he's just coming off Back to the Future again, which is like you can hear the, the know, similar that's... use of instruments in it. Yes, but yeah. the military yeah. kind of uh, yeah. thorough line through line. Is very yeah, it's like it's, it's, the, it's like the the drums and and as I say that even that little bit of melancholy music when Blaine has been shot like it's just so effective mm-hmm. because uh, you know and bring it, it back bring it brings, back it brings it all back well. like these aren't just caricatures these are people and you should care about yeah. the fact that they're dead and if you don't care about it see that this character really does care about his his death you know mm. he takes a little last drink and then bye brother there's a big music cue and. Uh, Predator holds the scorpion, and when mm. he reveals it's the claw, so it's great, it's lovely. But that, that, yeah. like you said, it's like a marker, right? We're going different now. That's sci-fi territory. Yeah. I, I have one nitpick, which is that the scorpion, when it gets trod on, is facing the other way from the <laughs> shot that we then see. <laughs> yeah, it bothers it me every time. I'm like, oh, couldn't they just got another? Me too. I have one more. <laughs> you know, we talked about. Um, uh, Ash in in Alien with the bad jump cut. There's one horrific jump cut in here. Um, th- there's another one where Arnie gets uh, he's got his head on the log, and the predators oh, yeah. skewers come down either side of his neck. And there's a terrible jump cut in there. They just had to go away to anything else and then come back. What, what, what did he jump yeah. cut from? And like, it it just goes from a kind of like an American jump cut in to okay. a close up of just the skewers coming down because they presumably it had to be very accurate. I would have thought they shot it in reverse. Yeah, they've they've pulled it out and right. His face looks a bit peculiar. The expression. I do. (laughs) What's your favourite scene, Gully? Favourite scene. Ooh, I think. um, Can I? Can I have two? I know that's um, slightly cheating. Um, Five beats. Okay, I'll go with favourite scene and favourite favourite shot because I did say it was the hog, but it's actually the iconic (laughs) favourite shot is iconic uh, handshake which we've not even mentioned but just because that is oh, how best well, that, gif well, ever. Be- yeah absolutely best gif ever in the world best meme but also you know to go from that to these people are going to be scared is amazing like that's that's your opening kind of like you son of a bitch to <laughs> these people are going to be outmatched great favorite favorite scene i'm going to give it to mctiernan for the we hit nothing i just think in an action mm-hmm. film like this, to to have the balls, and I know that he wrote, he said that he constructed that sequence. I just think that's just amazing, just to kind of like the futility of their weaponry and to reduce them to, well, you have to do some Boy Scout shit because these guns ain't doing jack. I think that's great. So yeah, that's my favorite. What about you, Patrick? Just to say, it's actually the same, Gally. That frustration, the 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 commentary on that firing into the jungle and. I love the noise of Old Painless and just the way it's constructed, that whole sequence. And Mac, you know, arguably best performance in it, even though he got the Ham Neal Award. No, no, that means that's a good thing. That is a good thing. The Ham Neal Award is not a derogatory award. What happened? I saw it. You saw what? I saw it.
No powder burns. No shrapnel. The wounds all fused, cauterized. What the hell could have done this to a man? Mac. Mac, look at me. Who did this? I don't know, goddamn. I saw something. Not a thing. Not a fucking trace. No blood, no bodies. We hit nothing. I, I, I do like that bit. And I also like him when he's mudded up at the end. The Home Alone stuff. <laughs> the Home Alone stuff. <laughs> what, what's your favourite scene, Matt? I, I don't know if it's my favourite, but I wanted to mention the very end credits. Uh, it's like a 1950s thing. Uh, McTiernan likened it to a theatre curtain call. And he stole it from Altman. He steals a lot from Robert Altman. Uh, uh, Brewster McLeod, I think, was the film he he pinched it from. Uh, and it's just where you see all the characters come back and you see them, they're all alive again. And it's almost like resetting it so you can watch the movie again, mm. you know. It's like everyone's okay, really. The, the only one who doesn't do it is Arnold. He doesn't do a, che- a cheesy piece to camera. I think he has the, if and, it bleeds, you can kill it, freeze, yeah, it's, it's like an, an outtake from the, from the actual shoot, I guess. But, um, the reason I like it is because, um, we made uh, on my graduation film, uh, The Wilds at film school, we did a blooper reel and, uh, we set it to, uh, the Sylvester score and the various crew members. And there's only one, one actor really in the movie. So he did it too, but we all did this little piece to, to camera. I think I did a Mac. Mm-hmm. Uh, a gesture with my coffee yep. and I think Chris you I did clap like a, board, a clapper yeah. clapper clap and a wink mm, yep. maybe Gally you were catching a, a cap, yeah, hat and then putting it on <laughs> and then putting it on that, that was kind of the closest to um uh, Carl Weathers I thought you were kind of a you had a bit of a Dylan vibe of course uh Joe had the best yeah yeah Joe, Joe Mac friend <laughs> of the show the van. <laughs> yeah he hangs on to the the back of a transit van and with a cigarette in his mouth <laughs> but uh and then someone else was checking the Oscar, Oscar the was, um yeah. uh, he was checking the yeah. gate uh, shining a mag light into the, the camera. So that, that, that brings back really nice memories. And the reason I did that without even knowing was that I just love this film so much. And I associate the, the joy of watching this film with the joy of making films and, and having fun. And, uh, so that, that all tied in. That I will, I will post that on Twitter because, uh, I don't know how. Yeah. After 15 years, I could look worse 15 years ago than I do right now. Well, Patrick said we look like extras from... With Merlin. Uh, we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, look, I, I mean, yeah, it's not it's not a good look. The flannel shirt that I've wearing as well is shocking. I mean, why didn't any of you tell me yeah. to just get a haircut? And... Oh, we all had our own problems, I think, going on at that. But, uh, Devlin, have you got a favourite? Um, the one thing that, that I think stands out is... Um, you know, you were talking about the, the the peeling of the onion, the the slow, gradual reveal of the creature, and um, uh, one of the the joys of that being the fact that they don't fuck it up, the fact that it does look as impressive as it should look, and the fact that it actually elevates the film rather than just being like a a letdown that you have to skate over. And it's the um, it's the long, steamy um, emerging from the lake shot of the of the creature. With the with the glitching on its uh, on its cloaking, so you get nice like shake of the hair the, as well. It's just you know you've got that great. 
I love those um those like blue like the, the they're essentially like hand drawn aren't they? It's like cell animation. The blues kind of sparks. Yes. Oh. Same stuff in the Terminator with the uh, yeah the yeah the lightning stuff opticals. I love Pro- that. Oh, just thought always Predatorial because so he's worth it. <laughs> nice, very good. Oh. Right, check out our team. <laughs> a t-shirt yeah. on the way yeah. um but yeah that's that's my favorite uh that's my favorite <laughs> shot it's a great scene as well you know the uh this is the you know this is the the setting us up for the for the final act but beautiful you get a good look at him there for one of the first times yeah. you really there's a nice moment it. as well where arnie goes for his knife and you realize arnie you threw it away for a one-liner <laughs> you don't remember galley just before we get into uh summaries I just wanted to play a little pub quiz with you guys. Just a, a quick little thing I wanted to do on this film. Um, maybe I'll do it going down the line from now on. So lads, question one. What is the name of... Do you have to buzz in yeah, or anything yeah. like uh, that? Is there any rules, Patrick? I don't have a buzzer. Yeah. We have to say our the, name. Uh, uh, Oh, we can have to do an Arnold, Arnold growl. growl for the buzz. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. This, this All is right. great, great podcasting. Let's go, go. <laughs> what is the name of the fictitious country? Gal. Uh, Valverde. Boom! One point. Well done. Question two. What is Dutch's full name? Yeah. <laughs> Ar- Arnie? I mean, Matt? It's <coughs> Schaefer. Full name, please. Uh, it's, uh... Paul Schaefer and the CBS Orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> Something Schaefer. <laughs> it's Alan. Alan, of course. Alan Schaefer. Mm. Question three is another name theme question, but it's not about the film. It's Arnie. What is Arnie's middle name? Oh, God, I've read his biography as well. He didn't mention it. (laughs) Oh, Matt, was that you? Alois. Oh, boom. Matt is today's winner. Oh, well done, Matt. Well done. I win Jaffa Cakes. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've just written a thing on Arnold for for the site, and one of the... I was going through all of his nicknames, and, uh, you know, the Austrian oak and all of the governator and all that. And that's why I know, uh, the, the Alois. Very good. Very it, well it's, played. It's Thank you for playing. I'm being, I'm being really serious. Devlin, if we can design the, uh, predator, whatever the shampoo is going to be with it shaking it. Predatorial. Yeah. Please. Predatorial. The that blocks. sounds, Wash that sounds to me like a t-shirt right. that is waiting to be worn. Um, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> I'll do what I can. I think we'll keep our summaries short because I'm I'm all out of wax. But um, Matt, I'll start with you. Do you recommend Predator? And then you got any final thoughts? Uh, I miss the, for want of a better word, uh, like harsh, hard R realism of the sci-fi action stuff of the 80s. And again, like grandpa mode, but they don't make them like they used to. Hmm. Um. I can't even think of too many caveats here, but we, we mentioned some slightly dodgy opticals, but there's nothing that takes me out of it. Um, a lot of these kinds of films show too much. This one takes the Jaws approach and it does it really, really cleverly. Um, I think that the film looks, I've written here hellish for 1987. I've tried to use a 1987 adjective to, uh, to try and sum it up. Um, uh, I, I think a lot of the success is down to McTiernan, uh, he's the guy that can elevate genres. He elevated the action genre with Die Hard, and here it's the sci-fi action uh, horror, I guess. Uh, I think it's Arnold's best dramatic performance. There's an argument for some of the more comedic ones that the Ivan Reitman stuff that he did. But here, straight down the line, um, there's a few wisecracks, but nothing too... 
It's not like the Running Man, like we've mentioned. <laughs> it's uh, it is separate to those and to Running Man and Commando. And uh, I love Total Recall, but even that one's played more comedically. Um, there was a piece of Paul Thomas Anderson advice that I was reminded of. I think it's on the Brilliant Boogie Nights commentary. He said uh, that he tries to write the saddest possible happy ending, and that never fails. Like even in a film like this, there's a lot of pathos to that ending and as you can see in our arnold bingo arnold always wins but uh here he wins at a great cost you know he's lost his entire team and that final image of him caked in mud in the chopper is quite a quite a haunting one mctiernan said on the commentary it has a wonderful childish suspension of disbelief and it just goes for it and like when this one goes it really goes it has a relentless kind of momentum to it that carries you through uh, I could watch it again now. It's, uh, I think I've seen it three times in the lead up to this podcast and it's just absolute quality. So car wax done. Arnold forever. McTiernan rules. Uh, I'll go to Patrick, please. Hmm. Uh, well said, Matt. It's all great. I, I think it's great. Um, I think it's been very clear throughout the podcast that we're all very positive about this film. The, we spoke about the standing the test of time thing and I do firmly believe that. And Matt, I really enjoyed your blog on Die Hard and McTinn and on the, the website. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, which I read, um, because part of me felt a little bit underprepared on McTinn and I felt you guys know him a bit more than me. I felt a little bit out of my depth in Die Hard talking about him and his context and his motives. So I wanted to get to speak a bit more on that. And one really interesting thing you wrote about was, how a film can be successful if you, if you can watch it without sound and how McTernan learned and how to learn a film. And I think this is a really fine example of that. Um, like Gally said, the final act is largely silent movie, really. Uh, <clears throat> minimum dialogue sounds and, and it's, uh, it becomes cat and mouse almost in the chase. Um, it's probably better than saying home alone. <laughs> Apologies. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I'm really drawn to the predator as a creature, as a, I mean, Hall, I think it just a wonderful job and how you watch this, these two people go, well, I'm saying two people because it is, humanistic really at the end and how they go for it right there i'm really drawn in the film and i'm amazed that i can still watch it now and be really shocked and in awe and impressed by the action the visuals the storytelling and how it all happens and it it's a really rip-roaring kind of film it rattles along um the pacing's excellent in it and yeah, well, McTiernan said when he got the, the film, you know, I was really excited to work on an old fashioned adventure movie. Predator clearly is designed as pure entertainment and I couldn't agree more, really. Gally, um, how about you? Well, I'll simply put it that this film will make you a goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus, <laughs> just like me. Um, that is the review. He's wearing uh, a vest at the moment. Yeah, I am wearing a vest. Um, <laughs> no, I um, I, I think this. I think that's absolutely right. I'm not going to really bring anything more to the table other than this is spectacle entertainment, and and as I mentioned earlier, I think this is the best version that this screenplay. You know, I don't think there's going to be a better version of this film. 
that could have been made. So kudos to McTiernan and, and the other creative heads and all those that worked behind the camera as well as in front because they've tried it many, many times, group of ensemble characters, caricatures, whatever, but the film never, as much as it kind of starts to fall into almost like comic book territory, you know, Hawkins is reading comics throughout the whole film. It doesn't, it doesn't ever fall into just pure kind of farce or goof and and it could have done and in, and in a way it's depiction of the attack on the gorilla camp which is so actually important to the film is the moment where you think you're about to you know you second guess the movie oh, okay i know exactly what this is going to be for the whole one hour and 42 minutes and then it completely shifts and uh it's great absolutely fantastic and a bit like you matt i'm gonna be that guy who's <laughs> shouting at clouds you know, they don't make films like this anymore. They really don't. And I would love them to, to kind of go back and trust audiences to come out for a film like this. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, go and watch Predator now. And if you haven't seen it for a while, go and seek it out because I promise you, you'll have a rip-roaring good time. So, yeah, that's it. Devlin, what about you? Um, not much to add, to be honest. You've all uh, summed it up extremely admirably. I would say um, uh, probably one thing we haven't mentioned um, would be the screenplay. Jim and John Thomas' screenplay. Um, there's clearly a very, very, very smart framework there for which to create this film from. And I think it's it's probably testament to them that they came up with something so kind of primal and um, and uncluttered and, and unfussy. And they were lucky in that they got a creative team who were able to, to really elevate it purely elevate it with with craft like we say it's not they're not trying to to i don't think they're trying to tell us anything very very profound about the human condition i think they just want to make the best possible version of a very entertaining film they could and they pulled it off completely and um you're right they, they don't make them like this anymore i don't think they ever could make them like this anymore i don't think you'd be able to apply the level of like grit and sweat and fingerprints you can't kick a vulture of, you can't kick a vulture you're not gonna let no one's gonna uh uh, let you build that suit again no one's gonna let you go out into the jungle and and you know rig up these awkward characters uh the opening of the commentary track john mctinnan says that um makes some weird crack about how uh he wouldn't fox wouldn't let him shoot anamorphic so he put the anamorphic fox logo at the start and it's all stretched out and weird and he said that that was some sort of dig and uh me and matt both found that a little bewildering as a thing he doesn't like authority though i think we established it in dial yeah but what i also think is that um as much as i do love the look of an anamorphic lens of course you know it's 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 fantastic i think that the really matter of fact grainy kind of just kind of yeah it's kind of grungy looking and i think you need that for a film like this i think you need and and you wouldn't be able to do that now purely because you're not taking these slightly malfunctioning cameras and having to you know open the iris all the way up because there's barely any light coming through the canopy like now everything's going to be so clean that you're going to have to apply that dirt after the fact in post and you just you're not going to be able to get just the um just the tactile quality to it anymore so mm. it, it it is very much it's a it's a real unique little piece and it's it's interesting that we've talked about a lot of films that it was influenced by and films that it influenced and yet 
I don't think there's anything else quite like it. So team, where can our listeners who are desperate to get Predator right now, where can they, where can they seek it out? There's a good transfer on uh, Blu-ray and they've ported a lot of the old extras over the, if it bleeds, we can kill it documentary is particularly good. We chatted about that, getting the pump, mm, yes. you know, uh, the, the boys, the boys club sort of, uh, competitive Where's my nature of what went, <laughs> <laughs> what went on behind the scenes is all captured very well there. Uh, and the McTiernan commentary that Dev's been referencing is particularly good. Uh, if you want to stream it, uh, if you're in the UK, cause I keep saying England, I've listened back to some old episodes and I've been an idiot. Apologies to uh, the rest of the UK. Uh, you can, um, stream it on Virgin TV Go in the you UK. You've got to pay for it in- individually. But you have to pay. And, uh, in the USA, I've got some new ones. There's one called Sling. Don't, doesn't, uh, uh Disney and- Plus have it? Cause they own Fox, don't they? No, not, Disney not at the Plus? minute, no. They don't. Okay. Uh, Fubo TV, Direct TV, uh, Amazon Prime Video. Fubo TV. And what about, what about Java? <laughs> As they got it on Java. <laughs> Voodoo, Java, and the AMC Spectrum on demand is another new one. They've got it. Uh, and if you're in Korea and you're listening, it's on Netflix. At the moment. I bought it on Apple TV for three forty nine, three ninety nine, and it comes with those extras and the behind the scenes documentary. Oh, and nice. I was quite impressed because that's a good sign going forward. Mm, I didn't realize Apple did that. I, you know, like Disney Plus, it's great that they've started to have accompanying behind the scenes stuff with films and TV. But I didn't know that buying on Apple TV would have that. And I'm really pleasantly surprised. I would like to advocate for, um, uh, my, def- I think it's called the definitive edition, uh, steelbook DVD, which is the one that I've been mm. watching it on. Um, it's, it, that's got all of the commentaries and stuff and it's a really nice box. Yeah. I think you this, probably get it yeah. for about a pound now as well. Yeah. So. Th- this is one where <laughs> really just own it. Don't have it somewhere obscurely yeah. tucked away in some streaming service that you'll likely never use again. Just buy it physically. It's, um, it's worth it, right? Well, so thank you very much, team. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed going through Predator. Next up, listeners, we are, um, well, we're going to talk about Millie. Um, a thoroughly modern Millie as well, actually. Uh, Patrick's choice, which, um, you know, we're all very excited about. Maybe I might rip my own <laughs> spine out, uh, as I watch it. I don't know yet, but Patrick, you've got form. Tap, you've got tap, 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 you can. Devlin, we've talked about our T-Mill, which we're now going to, well, I'm, I'm basically telling you we need to draw that and get it on a t-shirt ASAP. So, um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. why don't you, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. So why don't you explain, <laughs> About our T-Mill. As always, the shop is open. <laughs> T-Mill. Devlin does drawing dot dot com. There is a link in the bio. There is a link on the website. Uh, we make t-shirts. I've got some Ross Meyer shirts. Uh, Matt's got a, uh, um, which we're going to introduce today. I'm going to hand over to Matt for this one, but we have, uh, the usual rewind movie, uh, podcast merch. Um, we have a bunch of other silly bullshit that I'm going to be updating as and as and when, but uh, there will be a new addition to the store this week. Will there not, Matt? Yeah, the, we've sort of coined it trope totes. So there are three tote bags now available. There's one for the erotic mm-hmm. thriller season, the re-erotica mm-hmm. season we did. We're still still doing that, uh, Matt. And by the there's... way, Devlin's still yet to pick a sexy yeah. fair. Oh, I'm considering. Uh, Another one for our uh, May of the Dead zombie season that we did. 
and a brand new Arnold bingo. Uh, so they're basically the tropes from each genre or each star. And you can play along as a fun bingo game or a drinking game or whatever you like. There'll be a link on the Rewind site and you can buy, buy the tote bags now. And we make no profit on it whatsoever. We kept the price as absolutely low as it could possibly go. I think we make 43 pence oh, if you buy one. So uh, yes. help you This is a loss-making enterprise, <laughs> as everything we ever do is. Yeah. So please. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. We charge nothing except your time, which is priceless, of course. So remember, it's a bit like that varnish decking UK company. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Devlin does draw in, so check that out, everyone. Also, um, if you enjoy the show, yes, uh, give us a review, rating, subscribe, spread the gospel. Spotify have just introduced a rating system. So if you haven't on Spotify, just give us a rating that's good. And, and then more give people. us a rating, you shits. So we will say our goodbyes, team. Um, I'm going to credit the YouTuber um, for our outro uh, song, just in case he comes back at us. Um, so do enjoy uh, Predator in musical form as we leave the show. So I'll start playing that now. There we go. Um, you son of a bitch. It's Gally in Glasgow signing out. I wouldn't waste that on a broke dick dog. That's definitely in London. <laughs> what is this fucking Thai business, huh? It's Patrick in London with a bad accent. Anytime. It's Matt in South Korea. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. I don't know what it was. The jungle came alive. Go on. It happened very fast. Not easy to describe. But you must have wounded it. Unless my eyes deceive. When the big man was killed, its blood was on the knees. If it bleeds, we can kill it. She discovered with the key. There is proof we can wound it. So repeat after me. If it bleeds, we can kill it. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Yeah, now take a stand. Here now take a stand. We can bring down this bass. We can bring down this bass. If we stick to the plan. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Something's out there waiting for us. Two or three men out there at the most. Am I the only one who's awake? I don't believe in goblins or ghosts. Fucking listen, give me a break. If it bleeds, we can kill it. An expendable asset. Yeah, now take a stand. I won't come, why don't you? So instead of complaining, you should work. give us a hand. I got nothing better to do. I saw it. I saw it. God damn it. Those eyes, they, they disappeared. It cut down my friend and it ran while I emptied that gun. If it bleeds, we can kill it. I saw it, goddammit. Stop shaving, you don't have a beard. That thing will come back, and when it does, I'm gonna have me some fun. If it bleeds, if it bleeds, I'm gonna have me some fun. If it bleeds, if it bleeds, if it bleeds, we can kill it. If it bleeds, we can kill it. We can pull out the wind, we can pull out the wind. Set a trap for the monster, set a trap for the monster. While we still have our skin, while we still have our skin. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Three men out there, I believe it can fall. When you're feeling down hard, just remember the call.
If it bleeds, I can kill it. Now it's all up to me. Mud all over my body. So the bastard can't see. It's a solo campaign now. Get revenge for my man. Hawkins, Mac, and Ramirez. Billy Dillon and Clarence.